On this week's episode, Lee Griffin reads papers. It is, a, in my opinion, and I've read papers on this. Scott Boris gives more dollar-saving tips. Oh, I was thinking like some guy in his, you know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know you're shed going, out, but, um, out back. Used to do right. Gecko is for the shed overhaul locations. I don't, he, I don't know if he still does, but. And I give some impeccable advice. Don't be a Scott Boris. Don't be a Scott Boris. What I airplanes are like tractors. When they break down, you leave it in the field. You come back and get it later. Welcome to this week's episode of the Farming Podcast. Uh, today we are doing a listener email answer. We're making an episode about it. We don't always make episodes out of the emails, but once in a while we do. And uh, this one is always always a favorite. Uh, should be nice and short. If you are considering not listening to the episode because you don't have an airplane and don't plan on uh, ever buying an airplane, well, I, I beg you to reconsider. Because we, as I've said many times in this program before, not everybody, it makes sense financially to like get your own plane, but I think there's a lot more people out there that think it's a far-fetched thing that would be impossible for them, and it's not actually. Is that I, I forget. We've, yeah, you, we've been a while since a, we. Yeah, you can get a one fifty for like, I mean, same price as like a decent car. So it's yeah, it's attainable. It's, it's attainable. We always like to, even if you haven't started flying lessons yet. It's like I, I was a case that I would not have been able to get the ratings I got and the time that I got. Um, if I was renting the whole time, um, just because it was cheaper to have the half a one fifty is what I had. Um, but anyway, so yeah, always keep it in mind. You know, this isn't as far fetched as a lot of people think. Well, well, Everyone's situation is different. Yeah, I think covering this now too will hopefully shed some light on an aspect of aircraft ownership that most people are not familiar with. When you own a car, when the car is junk, the car is junk. Or with an airplane, there's components to it that that change the value and ebb and flow. You know, you may the air the airframe may still be good, but the engine's junk, or vice versa. So, I think I think this is a good topic to cover that can maybe help somebody with a purchasing decision if they're even remotely on the fence, or where some of their money's going if they choose to rent. Yep, as long as you take care of an airplane, it's never like worth scrap weight as where a car is like. I mean, you right. can take good care of a car, but if you put 300,000 miles on it, it's basically worth scrap weight. As with an airplane, you know, it's it's always going to be worth something. I mean, obviously, the lower time on the engine, the more it's going to be worth, but... Yeah. Uh, okay. Hey, question for you. I have a plane that is close to TBO time, but I'm not sure if I'm going to continue to my commercial license. The cylinders have been replaced and have a significantly lower time, but my question is: What are some ideas that I could do to get an to get an overhaul? Do you know of any besides just replacing for new? Would you guys do an episode on overhauls? Question mark. Well, we are certainly are. Uh, I might buy used. I might buy a used one if I find one. Thanks for the podcast talk, Danny. Thank you for the email, Danny. And then uh, yeah, so let's go in kind of overall. And then I asked Danny a follow-up question where he sent me actually his more of his situation with like his make and model plane, uh, the time and engine and all the stuff. Um, we can get into the nitty-gritty. Like overall, what's the um, like if you were to explain 
And Scott, you can start with this because this is a topic you're actually pretty well versed in. Explain to somebody who has just no idea and is not familiar with this at all, like just the basics of what what an overhaul is. What do they mean? TBO, time between overhaul. Yeah, uh, time time before overhaul or whatever. That's what it stands for, right? Time before overhaul, Lee? Bet- between, yeah. Time, time between. between overhaul? Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, okay, I guess I didn't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it basically just go through the whole engine, tear it down and replace whatever needs replaced and uh, put it back together. How often do you have to do that? It typically, it's like it varies. I mean, you, usually around two thousand hours, but it, it varies depending on the engine and what you're using it for. I mean, you if you're using it commercially, you're required to do it at a, at the TBO time. But uh, if you're just using it, you know, for your personal use, there's there is no requirement. Just it's a, it's a good idea, you know. But if it's running strong and has good compression, you don't have to do it at the overhaul time. Yeah. And then, um, so yeah, this is, before I pitch it to Lee's long explanation, I'm sure he's revved and ready to give. Yeah, I, uh, I have more details. Than I <laughs> it's, I, I always think of it as, the major component I think of it, because of having an airplane, it's, you always want to make sure as part of aircraft ownership, you're um, taking this into consideration. How many hours are left? What is roughly that overhaul going to cost? Roughly, when is it going to happen? How many hours do I have on the airplane before that happens? And kind of be putting some money aside. You know, maybe it's like 20 bucks an hour or something if it's a not a serious overhaul and you're pretty far away from it. But just have that kind of budgeted, uh, yeah. Because you're not a, you're not going to see that calcul you're not going to see that money spent like over the year when you're flying it, and you're heavy like obviously fuel you see that right away, you know your annual inspections you see that right away. There's other stuff you see as you're using it. That's kind of something that you just it can sneak up on if you're not budgeting for it. Depending on how often you fly it, you know it's eventually you're going to have to tackle that expense at some point so it's better to it's better to pay for it over time than it is to try to just come up with the money all at once in my opinion totally so it's not just so it's not a shock like when you take it in and your your mechanic tells you it needs an overhaul and it's going to be this much you know if you were planning on that the whole time it's not as bad as well, no, pay, know. you know, pay, wait, wait till the oh, overhaul's yeah. due and try and come up right. with $20,000 or pay yeah. 10 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess I sh- shouldn't, I guess I can't really give that advice because I don't do that. My, I don't do it that way with my plane. Like, I don't keep track of the hours I fly and set this much amount to the side. But if you're, if you're worried about, if you want to keep track of exactly how much it's costing you to fly that airplane per hour, which is not a bad idea then it's not a bad idea to set that overhaul cost aside every hour that you fly it so that you're not shocked when you get your overhaul bill. Yeah, I feel like just the simple thing of going and like flying an airplane is or owning an airplane is spreadsheet worthy. I make spreadsheets yeah. for no reason, but I definitely well, you're think a spreadsheet nut, but yeah, I mean, it's not a bad I'm, idea. I am. It's not. It's a. It's a good idea to break down the expenses if you're if you're worried about it. 
Yeah, well, especially, and you could compare it, like, let's say you've learned to fly, and all you know is rental, where they are forcing you to pay the cost of the overhaul, or the, you know, the new engine, or the right. remanufactured yeah. engine. They are forcing you to pay that. Now, if you're saying, hey, I'm on the fence, I think these guys say that it might be almost more cost-effective for me to just buy my own airplane. But now I have to force myself to put this money aside. And I think that's where a spreadsheet, and you should probably have a spreadsheet if you're on the fence about buying an airplane anyways, what is going to be more cost-effective? If that's your reason for buying is to learn to fly cheaply, I think a spreadsheet's warranted. And you can you can find an, an airplane a lot cheaper that's close to TBO, but I just take into consideration... Yeah, taking that it's going to be a big cost out of out of pocket. Yeah, you're sooner at a sooner time, you know. Like I, I don't know. I I've been looking for a plane, and I'm trying to find something like more mid time on the engine. Because like, if you find a low time engine, it's it's expensive. You can get a plane cheaper. With a high time engine, just what well, this is just my personal experience from looking looking to buy used airplanes. I want to go mid time engine, or obviously I'd like the lower time engine, but they're usually out of my price range. I feel like, for me personally, finding something that still has about half the time left on it, that way I don't have to worry about getting it overhauled anytime soon, and I'm not paying a bunch of money out of my pocket up front. For a more expensive airplane. Yeah. So, I mean, like in the purchasing decision of buying an airplane, you're talking about factoring in how much time is left. You know, maybe you're closer to getting that's left on the engine. Or, you know, if you buy one that's almost run out, we would say, so if it's close to the TBO, um, we'd call that almost run out or close to run out. That doesn't mean the engine is necessarily junk. That just means you're taking more of a gamble. How good a care did the previous owner take? Can I fly this 200 hours past TBO? Maybe I can fly it 1,000. You don't You don't know what the quality of that engine is. Yeah, and during a pre-purchase inspection, the mechanic can find some things out, and you can look at what the compressions are You know, over time. Are they getting worse? Are they staying consistent? And you can talk to the mechanic. You can talk to the owner and get a feel, a read for how good a care you think. It's all still a gamble. I mean, even if they were perfect. That that engine that could have just been I don't want to say a lemon, but its time could just be up at two thousand hours, twenty two hundred hours. So if you deduct the cost of that engine overhaul, which some people think they have more than they do, it's just like buying anything else, you yep. know. But I would I would think you know if that engine has a two thousand hour TBO, it's a I'm just shooting shooting a number out there. It's a twenty thousand dollar overhaul. You know, it, that's ten dollars an hour. So for every hour, right? Twenty to I think. Yeah, twenty to yeah, ten dollars an hour. So yeah. you deduct that. So like let's say it's got nineteen hundred hours on it. Well, that means you know that that you're gonna in a theory that hour that engine may be due for overhaul in a hundred hours from now, if you want to do everything by the book. Well, that means you should be able to take nineteen thousand dollars off what the purchase price of that airplane would be. If it had a brand new engine, 1900 yeah. hours times $10 an hour, $19,000. If it, because you're going to have to pay that, you could theoretically have to write a $20,000 check in 100 hours for that engine to be overhauled. The real world doesn't look, look at, it doesn't work that way. 
but you need to do your best. Yeah. Get 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 the cost of that engine on the on the front side as much of it because you didn't run it, they ran it. And you're buying, you need to buy it right. You know, like because yeah. they put the hours on the engine. You don't want to make a twenty thousand dollar check. Yeah, I mean, you are, you know, you're eventually going to have to, but theoretically you got some of that money when you initially acquired the aircraft. Also, depending on how you do the overhaul, like, yeah, if you just go and get a uh, replacement swap out, it doesn't take that long to do. But if you want to save some money, take yours off and take it to the, you know, the local guy that overhauls engines. It could take a while. It could be down for a while. So that's one thing that, you know, like I look at when I'm looking at a plane right now, looking for a plane right now, I don't want something that's close to needing an overhaul because I'm going to buy this plane. I'm going to want to fly it. And then it's like, Oh, now it needs an overhaul. So I got to, you know, wait for a guy to pull it off for me. And then I'm not going to just swap it out for another, a brand new one. Cause that's, I'm not going to pay that kind of money. Right. Well, how long is this plane going to be down for that? I just bought, you know, it's like, but like, let's now say you I were... feel like, go ahead. Now I feel like I spent all this money on something that's just sitting in my hangar I'm waiting for the engine to get done on and I'm spending a bunch more money on getting the engine done. But what if you knew the type of airplane you were going to get, let's say if, so you knew the type of airplane, you knew basically what engine was going to go on it. What if you were like, I know I'm getting that airplane. And of course this is still guessing and things change, but you like, you're just hell bent. You knew that's what you're going to get. And there was, there was, it's this or nothing. What if you could shop now for an engine Get that overhauled, a good quality overhaul that would take some time. I agree with it. you. Then find the airplane with a close to run out engine. Yeah. And then when it gets in, swap, the, swap it out, core. sell the engine, sell the parts, or send yeah. it out to get overhauled and then sell it for almost retail. Yeah. yeah I mean, you could do that. I don't know where you'd be. Again, that's spreadsheet, you know, so I don't know yeah. where you would end up being, you know, if, but if you could take, you have the engine. That to keep you flying, waiting for the airplane to show up. So you put the nice engine on that you just had overhauled, and then you can take time with the core that you took off, the core engine that you took off, get sourcing the most, you know, what do I want to say? Um, bang for the buck parts, the best value parts and components. So that you can still get a good overhaul, but you can take the time to do it for the least amount of money. But that would take yeah. time. You're exchanging, you know, price for your your time and sourcing right. uh, good value parts. There's a and lot you of need different a, ways to skin you, it. Yeah, you need a place to then store that too, and then there's factors. Yeah, that's 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 in a unique just, position. Well, yeah, I have free hanger rent, so. Well, you can send that, it out somewhere and just have them do it and wait a couple of weeks, get your engine. Yeah, back. you can do I that. I just, but if you're trying to be a complete and total, you know, it's just cheap the wad, hassle of it. I'm, yeah, well, I am. Well, I'm talking about everybody, not just you. You know, I'm yeah. just, I'm just well, saying. I'm about, as, I'm about as cheap as it gets. So. But yeah, so if you could make a thousand bucks though on your core, that sounds like well, something you would do. Oh yeah. Sure. You have it. You buy the buy the. You look for the airframe that you want with a run out engine, but you have the engine waiting in a crate to go on that the weekend you get it, or as soon as it's no longer airworthy, or you don't think it yeah. is. Or I don't know if I'd do it that way though, just because you don't. You might not know how long it's going to take you to find that airplane that you want that has that run out engine on it, and then how long do you really want that 
new engine sitting in a crate before it's ran. Oh, that one's not pickled. I wouldn't care. Yeah. Well, I guess if it's pickled properly, whatever. But well, I would imagine it would be. Yeah. I suppose that was always cool. The banner company I worked for, they had they had engines just sitting in crate, brand new ones, ready to go whenever they needed them. So they just if they needed one, they didn't have to order it. They just it was they were in stock because time is money. Time is yeah. that same thing for you know a one thirty five operator, you know a flight school. You can't have that airplane down, you know. So you you have mechanics working on third shift. You don't have an airplane down during the day. You know they're working yeah. second third shift to get that thing back up running the next day. Yeah. So that's that's a totally different thing. But one thing I did want to bring up though is I guess I shouldn't have just said a run out engine. What if you get one that's got maybe you buy the airplane, but you buy a second engine when you when the airplane shows up. And well, it's yeah. mid time. I mean, you can you can do a bunch of different derivatives yeah. of that concept yeah. to minimize downtime once you have the airplane and then still make money on the engine you take off and sell. Or you just rotate it. You know, if it's a high volume, like if it's a, a flight school or 135, just keep rotating. You always have one waiting. I mean, that's money you have to put up up front. I get that too. But you could keep rotating engines to minimize downtime. Yeah, that's true. But. I don't, um, whatever, continue. That banner company would actually, they would buy the engine brand new and they, I think they would overhaul it once. They would never overhaul the same motor twice. Once it was, once it needed a second overhaul, they'd just sell the core and swap it out for a new one. Yeah. So, because, so getting on into it, I didn't know if you wanted a better segue, but so one thing that's important for people to remember, and when you're airplane shopping, which it's almost turned into more of an airplane shopping episode, but you'll see buzzwords like factory new, factory reman, um, which means remanufactured, or factory rebuilt, I think might be the technical FAA term. I'm not sure. And then overhaul. They all have distinctly different value components. A factory new is exactly that. It's a first run is what it's called. So that's what you're just talking about. So you'll go to one of the bigger, let's say if we're just talking piston manufacturers, the two big players are Continental and Lycoming. And they uh, first run right off the assembly line. The logbook has a zero in it, starting with zero total time since new. So it'd be TTSN, total time since new. That's going to have your highest value um, any way you slice it. Then after that, so you were talking about they'd buy brand new, they'd get through one overhaul. So once you get through this TBO, the time between overhauls of you know 2,000 hours or so, depending on what type of operation you're doing, there's different legalities involved. But you run through the TBO, and you can, you're can you at kind of a fork in the road. You can send it back to the manufacturer and get a remanufactured engine, which means they basically restore it to like new. Um, so it's not so much where an, okay. So where an overhaul would be, you send it back and you can send it back to a factory, the factory to get overhauled. And that still has some value versus sending it to a shop that maybe somebody doesn't know if they're buying it in California, but the airplane's from Florida, you can have it done at a really high quality shop, but somebody in California, that might be a no name to them. But if you send it back to the manufacturer, that's a nationwide worldwide value. You know, that somebody can understand, okay, that's that's the best overhaul this can get, and it's worldwide accepted. So if you send it back to the manufacturer, a factory overhaul would still have more weight, but it is a vastly um I don't I don't know if I want to say less value, but 
It's definitely not like new, obviously, where a main remanufacturer is marginally more priced than an overhaul, but it's a, it, they're restoring it to like new. I think that's where the value is, personally. It's between new and an overhaul, but it's much closer in price to an overhaul than new. So if I were looking for something, I'd be looking for something with a factory rebuilt or factory remanufactured tag to it. Because it starts with a zero, a zero logbook. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I mean, a zero. They spend, call, or they, you're going to spend significantly more money for that, though. Well, like, so like, so let's say like a pot, just, I, I just know just because like these are the types of engines that I would look to do. If you look at like a Lycoming, you know, 0360, 0320, which is what I would want like on a Super Cub or something. You know, you're looking for an overhaul. You're around twenty two, twenty three thousand dollars. If you do a remanufactured, you're looking like twenty nine. So to get a, a logbook with a zero in it, well, but if you have, you see what you I'm know, saying? You have, uh, you know, some guy rebuild it in his shop in his backyard. You know, you save a lot of money that way. Well, yeah, but it doesn't end up being a zero time overhaul. That's no, another I, way. Yeah, that's another thing you'll see it called a zero time overhaul, yeah. which is really is a remanufacture or rebuild. The only place that can do that is the factory, it's though. The factory. Yeah. 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 They're the only ones who can zero time. So, like, if you have an airframe and you want to get it refurbished, but you want to be zero, that the only way that can happen is if it goes back to the manufacturer. So that, I get type certificate. If I sent yep, my right. engine, if I took my engine off my 150 and sent it to the factory, I could throw away the old logbooks. And start with a they zero will do time. all that for you. They they'll they'll probably give you, yeah yeah. I mean yeah that so that, old, that should that should basically be. the the old engine logs are useless because it has nothing. It's to do got with an, it anymore. yep. It's ha, it's got a second life now. Where if it's yeah. an overhaul, yeah, it's a perfect point, Scott. An overhaul, all the logs gotta keep the old stay logs with books. it. Yeah. yeah yeah. I mean they get lost in a fire or they got lost in the move. Those things happen. Yeah. Yeah. But but that's yeah. you know. Kinda, I mean they're not you know, they're not as relevant. I mean. Sure, you could look through them, but if you're buying an airplane, you're probably not going to look much further back beyond the overhaul current, at least in yeah, the engine right. logs. Anyway, I mean, right. you could, but yep. what's the point? You know? Yeah, I mean, and really, that last overhaul is the really the only. Yeah, like 100. percent That's that's as far as you're concerned. That's when yeah. its life started. Right. But that cam, you know, those rods. You, you know, send it you, to the factory. You don't even need the the old logs. Now they're gone. I'm. They'll give you yeah. a brand new logbook with zero time in it, or whatever is on it from a test run. Now, or now do they want? Do they want your old logs when you send it in, just so they know the history of the engine? Or? No, I don't think so, because they go through and they they, go through they have anyway. their yeah their dial calipers and all yeah. that stuff, and yeah. they they replace you know to everything to like new standards. Yeah, but like I said, so like that same engine I was talking about, that's like a forty forty thousand forty five thousand dollar engine you can yeah. get it for 29 for remanufactured 22 23 overhauled like to yeah. me if i'm looking for if i'm looking for an airplane that, that has one of these three options i'm of course always going to be probably looking for new or remanufactured you know what i mean because yeah. those are going to be those are going to be from a reliability standpoint those are going to have the real an overhaul can have the reliability for sure but the the value that's coming with it and the peace of mind for me I mean, reliability. It's not about performance, really. I mean, there's an element there, but I mean, there's some probably some awesome shops that do great work from a performance standpoint, 
you know, have it nice and balanced. It's really balanced. All the connecting rods and everything's perfectly balanced and it runs smooth like a sewing machine. But maybe the reliability isn't there because they didn't replace who knows what. So, and I'm, I mean, I'm, yeah, a little doom and gloom there, I guess. I mean, God, how many overhauled engines have we all flown behind? A bunch, a ton, but dozens and dozens. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't scare me, but the shop's reputation automatically has to be part of the equation when you're buying an airplane like this. Yeah. You know, or you need to factor it in. If you're doing, if you own the airplane and you're choosing to do the overhaul, it, it needs to be a thought to you. What am I, what am I going to do? I have these options. What am I going to do that's going to m- help me retain value in my aircraft? That doesn't matter to you, whatever. You've got a blank canvas, do whatever you want. But if that is a thought that maybe you're going to sell or whatever, um, definitely have to think about that where the dollars and cents are. Somebody might beat you up on. It may be an awesome engine shop. You have it overhaul at. It might be awesome. It might be better than factory. You know, they may do, they may be crazy like OCD and, and the attention to details off the chart. Um, and you can read reviews. That might be true. But if somebody in in uh, California has never heard of them, I, I don't know that you're going to necessarily get the value. I mean, I know the internet exists. I get that. But I don't know if enough reviews can be read to get you the value that a Lycoming or Continental factory remanufacturer would get you. So that's a factor if you're looking for resale value uh, more so than if you're just you're just trying to get your plane running again that you plan on keeping then it's obviously less of a factor. Yeah, as long as you're not compromising reliability. Yeah, because that's paramount. Yeah, yeah well, that's, you, uh, yeah, we're, we're saying that on the side of um, going for a good, reliable shop, spending a little extra money. Maybe you're not going to get that out of it, but it doesn't matter if you're not selling it anyway. It's for you. Where I know Scott's brain immediately goes to, well, yeah, that means I can just go to the cheapest shop there is. And, right, which is what I'm going <laughs> to do. Ultimately, when I need <laughs> But I need an overhaul. Yes, it's it's gonna go to the cheapest place available. Oh yeah, I don't. Know, I, I, don't, don't I, I know that's not. What's that? I said I don't even know who's doing them anymore. There's a place. There's a place for you, but I can't remember what it's called. We'll have to figure that out later. But yeah. so it's if it's a negative review, let's just not even mention it. Uh, no. Oh no. Okay. I mean, it's a good spot. I mean, it's where I would fully intend to do any of mine. Okay. But I just, I just can't remember. Do what I place know the, Do I know who it is or no? Yeah, I mean it's local. It's somewhat local. It's in Ohio, but I can't remember where. Where? I mean, where, do I or, know the person or no? No. Oh. Well, I mean, I don't think so. I don't know who yeah. they are. It's a it's oh, a company. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Oh, I've, okay. All right. Yeah, I don't. Oh, I was thinking like some guy in his, you know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know you're shed going, out but, um, out back. Used to do right. Guy goes for the shed overhaul locations. I don't, he, I don't know if he still does, but. I believe he does. And hey, oh, well, there are probably some awesome shed overhauls. But here's the thing, though. It's not like they're out there with a file and a grinder doing this. They send everything out. There are some places they send oh, yeah. them out to the right yeah. places, and they just yeah. assemble them. They yeah. do the final assembly a lot of these places. So there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. depends on how cheap do you want, how high a quality an overhaul do you want at what price point. And you can take a little from the quality and subtract it from the price, and you can do all kinds of different stuff, you know. And what's assembly going to cost you? What is the wait time going to cost you if downtime matters? 
And what does installation of that engine back on your airframe going to cost you? That's another thing. Count four or $5,000 for that. Scott, you have bought, what, was, what, what type of airplane was it that you bought? Someone was storing it in their mobile home? I bought a Cessna 310. Somebody was storing in their mobile home. They had the okay. wings off it, obviously. But yeah, obviously. Okay. Yeah. That's just, just cut trying to give the, the... Cut the wall off the to, mobile home and slid it in there. In case someone's a new listener, I'm just trying to give some context to... He said it was in his trailer, and I'm I'm thinking like, okay, he's got it disassembled. It's in his semi trailer because you know yes, a, lot of semi. Use semi, a lot of people use semi trailers for storage. And like coming up in, on the address, and it's like uh, I don't see any semi trailers, and we just drove right past it because didn't see it. And my wife's like, I think it's in there, and I'm like, no, it can't be in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. Oh, God. All right, let's get back to Danny, unless you guys got other stuff chopping at the bit to say. There, I mean, there's plenty more, but let's just, yeah, let's roll Okay, yeah. Got. Yep, um, so I, I texted Danny, I'm like, yeah, we're going to do an episode, and um, it, we just need some more information and stuff for the, just to make a more relevant, and the emails got divvied up, because Lee hit the wrong reply button. Um, it's a Grumman AA1A, or Alpha Alpha 1 Alpha trainer Mm -hmm. at 1971 Mm -hmm. Uh, he gave a tail number i won't say that uh it's 0235 c2c that mean anything to you okay is that the engine or yeah okay i don't i I know very little about this and that's a special engine too that i love i love that engine because that's actually got a 2400 hour tbo on it yeah so most are like scott said most are 2000 i was on average that one's got 2400 Get an extra four hundred out of that one. Yeah. What's that? That you get you can get an extra four hundred hours out of that one. Well, no, Scott, you'll get an extra like eight hundred hours out of that well, one because yeah. they're already right. saying it's reliable. Right. So why not yeah. run it twice? Yeah. Right. Twice extra. Exactly. Yeah, run it up to three thousand. <laughs> yeah. uh, easily. Hey, yeah. one of the trainers that I used to instruct in, I believe, had thirty-two hundred hours on the engine when that was sold. Wow. Since an overhaul, ran like That's a top. A lot. Yeah. Ran like a top though, and that's something we. Can, I mean, we can get into. I guess we should. I'm gonna write it down. Let Rob finish what he was saying, so we can. Oh yeah, uh, it's just. Um, it just said Collins radios and nav with glide slope of VFR. Fun to fly. Just finished an oil change to my CFII. Looking to maybe just keep it going and buy a different plane for other licensing or join a club, um, or do I just replace at TBO time? Thanks in advance. Um, this is a situation I was in because I had the 150. I was b- doing a lot of time building, but to do my instrument rating, do my commercial, the CFI, you can't really. I had to rent planes to do those. So, because um, the 150 is not instrument rated. I mean, I, th- I think there were some, but mine was not in that group of you can IFR do a lot 150s. Of your, you can do a lot of instrument work in it, though. I mean, obviously, yeah, you, can't do, you can't get any IMC in it, but you can. You can do a lot of instrument training. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, and then I think he sent another email because we were kind of going back and forth. Lee replied, and then he just got mine, and I thought there was some more. Oh, total time is uh, 3,397.1. So he is right there uh, with that 34, or no. He's over. No, never mind. That's total time. 
That's okay. What's I the, think that's what's the, that's probably it's probably on the airframe. You want to just it reread it? Yeah. Let's say that again. It says TT. Yeah. Uh, three thousand three hundred ninety-seven point one. Uh, engine TT. Engine total time. Uh, two thousand two hundred twenty point nine. Uh, oh. cylinders SMOH. Since major major overhaul. Uh, one thousand two hundred ninety-one point seven. Uh, he says, yeah, has an extended TBO, uh, 2,400. Uh, I was just trying to look that up to verify that I wasn't wrong and I couldn't find it. So that's, <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. Okay. Yeah. I would, uh, most O235s are 2,400, except for a certain high, the higher compression ones. The, um, so like there's a conversion for 152s. Um, I think they call it a Sparrow Hawk and it takes them from 115 to 125. And I want to say it's from 8.7 to 9.2 to 1 compression ratio, and they get an extra 10 horsepower out of it. But with that, it drops the TBO back down to the more realistic um, 2,000, just like everything else, pretty much. But if it's the 108 to 115 horsepower variants, those are all 2,400-hour TBO. So they're super economical, and you can see why they use them in trainers. That's another fun leaf fact that he just pulled out of his head from I know, yeah. From learning fifteen years ago. Who remembers that kind of crap? <laughs> only I Lee. Yeah. Lee's the only one that can like ret- like Scott and I can retain that kind of information for like like a month yeah. maybe. Yeah, <laughs> we just maybe. forget about and it. After that, if I like Scott and I knew a lot of stuff at one point. Right. <laughs> we just forget. But, yeah, yeah. No, you know a lot of stuff is just not all like pertinent right now. Yeah. So anyway, so this guy, he's got less than 200 before the uh, the official TBO. Yeah. And yeah. say, should he just, and he's, he doesn't know if he's going to do a commercial, maybe get a do pl- different plan to get different ratings. I don't know if it says IFR or not. Uh, didn't say that. Is that pl- are those things typically um ifr equipped what's um they're probably the only thing that i can think of offhand that would even remotely put it out i mean obviously there could be an airplane could look perfectly ifr certifiable but the manufacturers never did so that you know there's some expense there you know for the manufacturer to do that so i can't be 100 percent certain but from an equipment standpoint everything i know leads me to think that it probably is ifr certified the only thing just right off the top of my head that comes to mind that I don't specifically remember being installed is pedo heat. You're going to want pedo heat if the airplane's IFR certified. I'm pretty sure if it's not required, it's a stellar idea to have pedo heat. Because if the pedo tube ice is over and you can't have no way to get rid of the ice, you've lost... Yeah. Airspeed, altimeter, you know, vertical speed, you know, all that stuff. Depending on where your uh, static source is, of course. But you want to know what your airspeed is, obviously. So that's a good idea. I'm, I guess I shouldn't say that it's necessarily required, but I'm pretty. I think it is. My my 150 had it. Yeah, so, yeah, 1976. Most everything, most everything does, but some don't, and it's and it's an oddity. But I, I would that would be the only thing that comes to my mind that I don't. Because I didn't have to use it when I flew it, so um, I don't recall. I don't recall it having it or not. But that's the only thing that comes to mind that that would maybe uh, disqualify it off the top of my head. Okay, well, yeah, he's. I mean, that's kind of going down a rabbit trail there. Uh, so yeah, like 
he's, you're a couple hundred hours out. I mean, legally speaking, you should uh, recommend or follow manufacturers' recommended protocols. Um, is our official advice of all three of us and of the Far Aim podcast. Um, anything other than that was just kind of generalities of things we've noticed people do, not necessarily thing it's correct. Does that sound well, sound good? Fo- yeah, follow yeah. what the Covered follow what the mechanic what the mechanic right. says. Yeah, yeah, that's like, a, obviously always... the the guidance from the manufacturer would be the backstop. If the mechanic says not airworthy prior to that, you know, choose your best, the most conservative path there. Yeah, that's another thing. Before we move on, just because it has a TBO of something, you know, even if it's like two thousand, that doesn't mean the engine's going to last two thousand hours. You have engines that are no, like like you have engines that hours. are fine past. There's our engines that don't make it to the TBO. It's probably not as common, but it does happen. Yeah, and what's what I mean for a multitude of factors. It could be just be cylinders. Now here I'm looking at he's had um so look at the kind of the rough math here. The airframe has 3300 hours on it. Almost 3400. The engine has 22, okay? But the since major over or since a major overhaul 1291 which is almost 1300. So at 3000 hours or I'm sorry two, at 2000 hours somebody already overhauled that or did that overhaul. The last the la- the previous owner I'm assuming in this First case. Overhaul. Yeah. Yeah, the first overhaul on, on well I'm a, the last overhaul. I don't know if it's the first one but yeah. it's the last well, one. Well Probably. Yeah. I don't know what's on the engine, but yeah, I'm assuming the math kind of works out. 1300 minus 3400, so at about 21, 2000, 2100 hours, somebody did that last overhaul. So that, I don't know why that is, because that's a couple hundred, few hundred hours shy of the TBO. Is that, is everybody yeah. following me on that? I, I wrote the numbers down so it's easy for me to kind of see the, the correlation, but. Um, that engine must have come from somewhere else because it the engine time total time does not match the airframe total time. So this, I mean it's it's common. I mean that en- that engine had a thousand hours on it when he got it, a little yeah. less than that. He's had twenty two hundred. Yeah, he's got twelve hundred since overhaul. So these are all the things that people have to juggle when they're doing these things. It came off in it. Another airplane with a thousand hours already. Why did it come off? I don't know. So I mean, there's there's history with this engine, you know, and and what's what's so, it got on it right uh, now? Since, since well, since major? major overhaul, what I wrote down is twelve ninety one. So he's yep. exactly half time. Oh, okay, oh. so it's going off of it's going off of then. Yeah, you're right. So he's not that close to he's it. Got, if we're reading these numbers correctly, right? then. Where did yeah, he, I mean, he's got. I thought he was at. I thought he was higher, higher, had a higher time on it than that when we well, first the, started the talking about it. Total time, yeah, well, the total time, yeah, is twenty two twenty, two thousand two hundred twenty point nine. So, but the total time since major is yeah, what twelve ninety one. Okay, oh, so he's thirteen hundred hours. Yeah. yeah, don't even worry about it. This says cylinders yeah. since major overhaul. Oh, cylinders since major overhaul. Okay, yeah. so it's been oh, so. Okay. So what you would call that is a top. See, I don't have a the email. Top up, overhaul. Yeah. A top overhaul is when you're doing yeah. cylinders. So that's so the twelve. That is, that's the one thousand two hundred ninety-one. Okay, so, okay, so okay. that's that still what's going to be that's, that's a lot of times. Doing, yeah. A lot of times that, that is what would be 
disqualifying for most people. That's what a lot of mechanics are looking for is just compressions. So that do research on that because there's so much to that too. I mean, I, I've my whole life, you know, it's put in, you know, do 80 PSI and whatever you get back is, you know, 76 over 80, 72 over 80. If it goes down to, you know, under 70, start thinking about, you know, whatever. Here's the thing. The amount of compression these engines create while they're running, 80 PSI is nothing. It is a in my opinion, and I've read papers on this, uh, I think superior, uh, uh, yeah, superior air parts or uh, the Millennium Millennium cylinders. I, I'm not sure exactly what brand, but they put out a paper. You could probably find it, um, and, or I could give it to Rob and he can post it somewhere or something, show notes. They go into this whole thing. It's like, yeah, that's what we've been going by. And is it an indicator? Of course it is. It's an indicator of the health of the engine. But 80 PSI does all basically nothing to represent the amount of compression or the fitness of that engine while it's actually operating. So, you know, through, through my, my time, you know, growing up, you know, we do compressions cold and then somebody's like, ah, you know, we're getting a lot of low compression. So what if we warm it up before we do the compression? Oh man. Yeah. Compression is good. It wasn't good cold, but now that it's warm, it's better. It's good. It's acceptable. And then slowly the science is some, migrated to well what does this test even tell us the engine isn't operating we can't accurately reproduce that kind of compression that's going to seat valves what's 80 psi going to do to seat a valve anybody ever press on i mean i know scott and you guys have but press a valve spring i think 80 psi yeah. is going to do anything to seat that nothing no. that's basically nothing compared to the thousands of psi that happen running. in there while the yeah. engine's running yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you, I mean, you're talking about getting the rings in the right place. You're talking about, you know, the actual, you know, and that's another thing about shock cooling. The worst shock cooling that ever happens on an engine, papers have been written on this too, is when that engine is shut down. Like people are so concerned. And and I'm saying that they, I'm not saying they shouldn't be, but, you know, you're, you're at, you're uh, at cruise and you just pull it from, you know, max power to, to idle and you're going to shock cool. it. Well, yeah, you are. You definitely are. But there have been studies done that shows the temperature decrease is, you know, um, actually more severe per minute, like degrees per minute or per second. The reduction is actually quicker from idle to shutdown than it is from power uh, cruise cruise power to idle. Under that makes certain sense because, I can't remember. Yeah, that makes sense because even at idle, there's still fire inside there. I mean, it's still running, right? You right. Know, it's still, but it, when you shut it off, it's there's nothing. I mean, it's going to outside air temperature pretty quick. Yeah, quickly, quickly. Especially on an so, airport tarmac in northern Ohio in the wintertime. Right. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, I mean, theoretically, there's some linear values there. You know, if you're flying, you know, a piston airplane relatively low, you're gonna have the same ambient temperature that you would at, you know, on the surface. Similar enough for the purpose of an experiment, but supposedly. And I didn't do it. I just, you know, red pay. And I can't even cite any sources at this point. What it's worth thinking about is the engine going to cool quicker from cruise power to a lower power setting or to idle maybe. Um, and that would be severe. I would, I would not recommend doing that. I'm just saying it to prove a point. And I don't know the testing parameters. Um, so I guess this is completely and totally anecdotal. But taking care of your engine, you know, and, and, um, the the back to the compression test 
seating the rings, seating the valves, all those things that are kind of under scrutiny during a compression test. You know, is there air? Okay, it's a it's it's low compression. Is there air coming out of the exhaust? Can we hear air getting sucked somewhere? Well, what what's going on? Those, I mean, it doesn't represent what the engine, what type of compression it's able to generate while it's running due to the the expansion contraction and the amount of forces uh, produced to seat valves if there's, you know, anything going wrong there. So that is a lot of times what sends an engine to be overhauled. That's what stops an engine from making TBO because of, you know, cylinders, a low compression. But it's worth looking into and having that conversation. Be armed if you get if you're getting close. Like let's say, so let's say he is close um, on this engine at twenty two twenty. So two thousand two hundred twenty out of twenty four hundred. So he's you know one hundred eighty hours shy of needing you know fine letter of the law. The manufacturer says he needs an overhaul twenty four hundred. He's getting close, and I'm sure there's people that are closer thinking about this. Arm yourself with a little bit of information. Hopefully, you have a good relationship with your AMP or your, you know, your IA, who's going to be doing this stuff or helping you. Um, and you guys can have a very candid conversation um, about what's best, uh, the best path for you to proceed. This is a very big decision. I mean, there's like the, you know, you're talking about buying a. A 150 Scott, like buying a car. Well, some of these engines on like an Archer or 172 is also oh, yeah. like it's buying a car. car. Yeah, well, right, yeah. yeah. So it it's definitely worth doing your homework and going armed to that conversation with your AMPIA. It doesn't need to be adversarial, but you know, it's gonna it could if it saves you, you know, ten thousand dollars. I would say it's probably worth it. Yeah, that's that's my that's my opinion. The risk of going down a rabbit hole, wasn't there an issue with you guys tried uh, Cessna 206s, was it? Like it had one or two of them, yeah. and you were having yeah. problems with um, on a couple making of those, it, yeah. so you got making rid of them? TBO, the cylinders, yeah. Well, so the first step was they, um, in, our, in the operation, um, you know, it's a lot of cycles, a lot of start-stop. And just like we just talked about, the, the 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 heat, the hot cold cycles, that's what kills everything. Everything we have in our world is all about how many times can you heat it up and cool it down. Everything. I mean, every time you turn on a light bulb, that's when it blows. I've never seen a light bulb blow when it was already on. I've never seen Batteries, it. It's always right when you everything. flip it on. Yeah. yeah, it goes from, you know, the cold to hot or hot to cold. That is the fatigue. And so in this operation... We did a lot of hot cold, and I would not say that, uh, you know, it's all you know, con, you know. Um, oh, I mean, it's kind of like kind of like bush flying for the most part. You know, you're 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 running them hard. You're you know you're flying in, taxiing in fast, and the prop stopped before the airplane stopped, and you're jumped out as soon as you know you don't have that much forward motion anymore, and loading up stuff, and then firing right back up and going. And that's very, very hard when you're running them hard and then you're cooling them down and then you're heating them up hot again. And then it'll sit for two hours, get ice cold uh, or colder, and then you're firing it up and taxiing right out and taking off. No warm up, no nothing. So it was a good, maybe a good test bed, you know, for torture testing for a manufacturer. But ultimately, what it ended up happening is when the engines would get around half life, they, they, were, they weren't airworthy. So Instead of it being a surprise, what the remedy 
And instead of changing and modifying the way the airplanes are flown or the routes they were flying to mitigate some of this, the strategy was to just top overhaul them, um, meaning replace all the cylinders at half life. And those were, I think, at 1,800 or 2,000 hour TBO as well on the, um, I don't know if you said the airplane, because I don't really want to give the airplane any bad, any bad, but... Um, it was yeah. I said 206. It's an older okay. 206 though. That's it's a different engine they have on them now, right? It, it is. It is. And the engine that was on those wasn't bad either. Just our our uh, we were used to running Lycomings. And uh, think about this: we can't possibly say that those engines were junk. And that's what I've been told my whole life is that those engines were junk. And you can't say that that's a bad engine because derivatives or you know cousins of that air of that engine are on Cessna 180s 185s they're probably on a billion Cessna 206s still up in use in Alaska seaplane operations which you and I know is not exactly kind to to engines um no i mean i guess you do get some inherent warm up and cool down that you wouldn't necessarily get if you were operating off of tarmac just because of the type of operation you have to do um you know you're getting a nice pretty pretty smooth or pretty consistent cool down and warm up that a piston on land might not get but um that was the remedy and and that was on the um continental io520 and you know i've I've flown another 206 on amphibs that had the io520 not even a hiccup i mean i liked the engine it was loud but i liked the engine smooth as glass made a lot of power i loved it good on gas there's a lot of airplane bonanzas blanca vikings I mean, there's tons of airplanes that have that engine, and I wouldn't want to just, you know, you know, trash the engine too bad. I, I think it's mostly our operation, you know, ha- being used to the way we were operating Lycomings that I don't want to say are necessarily better, but they could take that type of abuse. Maybe the Continental had a different strong suit. Very possible, but... Yeah, so that was the remedies. They just topped them at a thousand hours. They did all the cylinders at a thousand hours, and then ran the engine the rest of the way to TBO. So they went through. I, I've heard, and I, I don't want to be too too crazy, uh, you know, and embellish the story, but I heard a number floated around in the eighty cylinder mark, um, in about in five years. That's a lot. It's a lot of cylinders for two airplanes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um. A lot of hours were flown. A lot of cycles were flown. But I can't remember if it, what kind of engines that were on those banner planes. But they would swap out cylinders on that thing like it was. Wouldn't even think twice. It was like most common thing. One of the most common jobs they did, from what I understand. Well, it's better than. I mean, it, it's quick. You know, it's quick to do. You know, on some of those. You know, smaller Lycomings, the O three sixties, O three twenties. I'm sure most of those are probably O three sixties. Would be my guess. But I, I mean, get it back in service. Oh yeah, yeah, and those things are probably you're putting a lot of hours on them every day because you're just well, barely moving, towing a banner around. So they yeah. can extend the life on those engines at all. It's probably worth it. Well, and that's another thing. So this is something that a lot of people don't know, but, you know, there's a point where, you know, you might not fly as much to save cost and things like that. But if you are worried about TBO and stretching it, flying more often, although, yeah, will cost you in gas and things like that, and you are adding hours to the engine, but is it's good for the engine. It's good for the airplane to be flown. 
You know, yeah, you got rust. Yeah, it's not good to live in pit. Yeah, you got rust happening on the inside of the cylinder walls. And, you know, so they get all pitted. So they, you know, like let's say you're going to buy an airplane or you're going to sell it. You know, and the mechanic, they do a boroscope in, through the spark plug hole or, you know, wherever. And they get in there, take a look around. They see it's all pitted from rust. Well, you didn't, if you didn't fly it, you know, you need to get that moisture out of that engine. You need to get out of the oil. You need to get out, recoat the cylinder walls with oil uh, periodically. How much is too much? I don't know. But the F or how much is too much? I don't know. How much is too little? I also don't know. But I know the FAA um, has granted an, a TBO extension um, on Lycomings for sure um, of 200 hours if you can uh, prove that you've flown it over 40 hours a month. That's a lot of flying. That's a lot yeah, of flying. That's a lot. Obviously. I'm not hitting that. But for, <laughs> but for commercial operators, though, if you well, can say, yeah. hey, give me another yeah. 200 hours, I mean, that that's, I mean, I don't want to say that's significant necessarily, but you like, let's no, say you have a factory. a lot of money. Well, it could. So if you have a factory, like, let's say you went an overhauled route. I mean, this is for commercial operators, I suppose, mostly, because who's going to go fly, you know, 40 hours a month, you know, flight school, banner tow, all that type of stuff. But like, let's say you went the overhaul route and you have about 22 grand. I, I just pulled up a spreadsheet I made real quick. At two thousand hours, it's going to cost you uh, eleven bucks an hour. But if you can extend it another two hundred, that's a, a dollar an hour you've saved. I mean, that doesn't sound like much, but I mean, I don't know. When you're doing a ton of hours on a ton of airplanes, yeah. The the compounding concept there, I mean, it, it definitely makes sense to me to to tr- to 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 do that. I mean, it's there for you to use. I mean, it's not like you have to go through a lot of hoops to get that extension. I mean, it's all it's all lycoming. I mean, it's there's not much to it. It's not like you have to submit paperwork to get the extension. It's if you've flown more than forty, lycoming in the FAA said, "Hey, you get a two hundred hour extension. Fly another two hundred hours, and hopefully nobody calls you on it." But I mean, obviously, you should be able to prove it if you want to use the extension. Now, now, if, I guess that's another point. If it's just a flight school. There's no requirement to overhaul a TBO. I know I've been using it. I just use that as a reference for a commercial operator, but they have no they have no requirement to overhaul that TBO, a flight school. I did not know that. I thought they did. No. Yeah. No. You don't need it for training. Only for uh, if you're carrying passengers for hire, right? Passengers or property, about, I believe. What about? Okay, I was gonna say what about freight, but yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, they're all under the 135 or 121, so I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming that that's all that's all under there. That's an assumption, but yeah, yeah, carrying passengers for sure. Yeah. So, bottom line, I would sum this up with, as far as Danny or anybody in the situation, have a good relationship with your mechanic and yeah. just try to figure out what's obviously safe. You obviously, want to get you know try to get some value out of it. Nobody wants to spend money they un- don't necessarily need to spend but i mean it, it is something i prefer to not be wondering when i'm up flying around um yeah you know is, am i pushing this yeah. engine too far that's not a yeah, yeah. if you're if you're I wondering see, that you probably just get it overhauled yeah yeah that's yeah that's true that's true what's that peace of mind worth you flying flying at night <laughs> over uh, water if you're flying any of those you know, things 
you're flying during the day in Ohio. There's lots of cornfields and bean fields, wheat fields, you know, and you don't really have to worry about it that much. Don't be a Scott Boris. Don't be a Scott Boris. What I- Airplanes are like tractors. When they break down, you leave it in the field, you come back and get it later. That's one school of thought. But if you have any, if you do anything wrong, you could do almost everything right, but the only thing you did wrong is you didn't overhaul when it got to TBO. What's, what's the insurance company going to say? What I mean, you cause any damage to the airplane, and maybe you do successfully or almost successfully land it, and you just clip the wing. What's the insurance company going to say? Oh, you're 200, 300, 400 hours past TBO. Why didn't you just do it? Well, how, how do you look now? Now you need to overhaul the engine because it just took a dump on you and hey you need to repair that wing you just dinged that d- none of that really makes any sense that's some of the conservative aspect that i would like to bring up is what was it worth and what if it was right after takeoff what if it happened right after takeoff and there was no good place to park it yeah well that's true you know yeah well i mean i'm just i'm just saying i'm with i'm with you scott i mean yeah if you're up flying already and you know, it just seizes up on you and you find a nice cornfield, but I shouldn't have to be afraid to go fly at night. And I mean, I guess I would be, I'm a little concerned in a single engine piston anymore anyways, just because I don't fly them anymore, you know, but I shouldn't be, have to be concerned to fly it over water or at night or any of that kind of stuff. No, I don't know. We're putting our families in these things. Well, yeah. I was just going to say, like, I come from the school of thought, like, my family has boats with, like, um, outboard, uh, the Mercury Verados on them, and um, historically, when those were run up to 2000, there's no legal requirement, or there's no even, like, a, like, there's no boats, like, boats are obviously way different, if the motors run out, you call CETO, um, and this one had three motors on the back, it was a fountain, and as soon as it hit 2000 hours just replaced it just because we go offshore with that thing out in the ocean. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We've got, if one grenades, we've got two more, you know, we still got 600 horsepower to get back in. We still do it. 2000 hours, just replace the Verados. And those things aren't cheap. That's just yeah. kind of the mentality. You know what I mean? Just, yeah. Why push it? hundred percent. A lot of things can go wrong. And I think about this all the time and you can really go to the extreme with it, which I suppose I do. But like, let's say it, it, it's a it's a windy day, whatever, and I go. I, any accident happens, and I'm flying on a day when I can handle it. I, you know, I think I can. The airplane technically can, but it's on the limit. Let's say, and anything happens, I clip a wing. I've successfully landed in this terrible on this terrible day, and I'm taxiing in, and I clip a wing on a 172 or another jet parked next to me. The FAA is gonna be like. What are you doing out here flying anyways? Why is this aircraft even moving on the ground at all today? That is what I kind of always think about. You know, I'm not even going off the end of the runway or going off the side of the runway. I do something, compl- a tire blows. No fault of mine. Anything happens. A normal, a normal failure in flight happens um, that has nothing to do with the weather conditions. What's the FAA going to say? And so I, I take that same context or I, I, I kind of, you know, um, put that same notion in the context of the TBO. What's your explanation? Because I wanted to save money. Well, what, what good did that do me? I sacrificed reliability for ultimately maybe a few hundred, a thousand dollars. And then I ended up, if anything else goes wrong, I mean, let's face it, I don't, I don't ever picture 
that engine failing at an opportune moment. You know, my mind goes to, you know, doom and gloom and happens right on takeoff. You got to sort out what's going on. Why did it, it's going to take you a second to recognize it quit. It's going to take you a second to recognize why it quit. All that is precious time when the nose is pointed up. You have to transition from a climb out attitude to a descending, getting towards your best rate of, or your best glide speed, which is cashing in because, you know, best, uh, best rate of climb air speed, you know, in a piston engine is, you know, pretty i mean it's all pretty close to the best glide but look at the deck angle you're going to have a probably a 10 degree split in deck angle between the two and you have to sort out why what just happened why did it happen okay now i know what happened now what am i going to do how many seconds did it take to figure all that out get to your best glide speed there's you just don't have many options when it happens down low and that's what i picture happening all of that is enough to make me... Now, I don't even own an airplane right now, but I can spend other people's money really easy. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. So Scott is the only one with um, airplanes that he's bought. Yeah. Well, and, you one know of what? them even works. Right. And yeah, how many hours is on that engine since overhaul, Scott? Uh, I don't know. I think around if you, 800, maybe? If you, or 800. Yeah, 800 hours. Right. So he's yeah. not even half life yet. So. Oh. You can talk a big game about how he doesn't spend money and whatever, but oh, he's no, got I, a... I, I don't. I wouldn't want an engine that was past overhaul. I mean, I would, I would probably still fly it, but it, yeah, it would make me a little nervous. You would <laughs> definitely change. It would be more at the forefront of your mind. What right. type of conditions you're yeah. taking off in? Yeah. What your like, strategy I, is? If I know my if it happens at what's up time. It's mid time. Yeah. Mid time, and you know, I don't, I don't. I would be more concerned if it was high time. Right. Yeah. Is there anything else in that email, Rob? I mean, that we. I think we covered a lot of it, and we have been exchanging um, back and forth with Danny as well. So I hope this shined a light on a lot of people's questions. Just kind of, we want to do this topic. Um, it was on my list of uh, topic ideas uh, anyway, and then when he sent this email. So we, we just incorporated the email into the episode uh, I, I wanted to do at some point already. But, uh, yeah, Danny, just you know our emails. We got your email. Just, um, yeah, continue on if you have any more questions. And if, if you've got a different situation out there, we'd like to hear about this stuff. I'm sure we will cover this at some point again in the future. Uh, probably not this season, but this is a, just the general buying and owning and maintaining an airplane topic is... One of the things uh, Scott and Lee both have a lot of insight on uh, compared to some other people. So, yeah, probably do this again at uh, yeah. some point. Something similar to this, at least. Five, I have one we, more thing. I have one more thing I just thought of. I'm looking for okay. a review. Okay, go, go ahead. So, one thing I would say when you're talking, when we were just talking about maybe exceeding TBO, let's say you bought this engine new. And it's all the hours on it are, or almost all the every single hour that's on it is yours. And you know the care, you know, you warmed up, you cooled down, you did your oil changes, all those sorts of things. And you know that you know that engine that has some value to it too. That would completely change how I would feel about overflying the time between overhauls. You know, there. I mean, you can have some sentimental nature in there that might drive you to go further than maybe you probably should even still. But like me, I know how OCD I am. You know, I break stuff in 
meticulously by the manufacturer's recommendations. I probably do more oil changes than are necessary at shorter intervals just because, you know, it's a labor of love, things like that. So if you break, you broke it in meticulously, you've warmed it up, you've been gentle on it, you know, you haven't ran it hard. Um, all those things come into account. They're, they're, they would definitely factor in very heavily into my choice to run my engine past TBO. If you inherited the engine half-life, you know, you can do some, you know, interpolating as to how far you would run it over, if at all. That's up to you. But, you know, if, if you, you know, if you've ran it halfway, a thousand hours, let's say, that's a lot of time with that engine. I would say that, you know, if you haven't had any hiccups or anything, you have as much track record. And we got cut off. Everybody say something. Yeah. You are awesome, Internet Scott. Uh, Lee, just uh, just you continue on. I just might leave it. We just got cut off real quick, and we're coming back. And Lee lost his train of thought. Yeah, of course I did. Yeah, okay. Um, interpolate as best you can. You know, I would say if you've if you've had the airplane half life, you have a good. That's a decent enough track record. I don't know that I would even make a distinct distinction between owning it its whole life and owning it half life at that point. You know the compressions, you know how well you've cared for it, you know you're in tune with that engine. So I would probably treat, you know, if you've had it from half-life after, I would treat that as probably, I would factor that in as far as how much I would fly over TBO, probably pretty much the same as if I had had it since new. Um, that that would be my, my only point with that. If you know how well you've taken care of it, um, factor that into how far you're willing to fly over TBO. Um, it could it could be significant. It could be like, yeah, I'm pretty hard on engines. So, you know, maybe I need to do it 200 hours early. You know, and there's, I'm sure nobody would argue with, with you, you know, if you decided to do it early. Safety, I'm in the mindset. Um, obviously, I'm not as knowledgeable, at least two, about this. But my mindset is always baby the engine. And then, but still, I would just do it at, at TBO if I could. Just because that's money. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That, that yeah, that would be the most conservative path, you know. Obviously, figure out, make sure that your definition of babying is like <laughs> the right definition of babying. I would like to think most people know if they're hard on stuff or not. Um, so if you think you're hard on an engine, you probably are. You know, there's, yeah. I mean, maybe some old school notions of what babying and how to break in. When I mean baby, I mean breaking what the manufacturer says, not what you think is best. Fly in accordance with the manufacturer, warm up, cool down. And by warm up, I mean oil temp in the normal operating range. Can you go take off? And are there like anecdotal like ways to, to determine? You know, old school engines would say, you know, if it doesn't falter when you advance the throttle, things like that. You, you can say that that's warm enough, yes. But like what I mean is probably you have like, operating temp or very close to it and the only reason you don't have it is because it's not possible at like ground power settings that's a whole nother that i mean it's a whole episode all in itself but yeah be, be gentle like rob said but be gentle according to the manufacturer not what you think is best i guess let's do an episode on pre-flight at some point then we can get into that like hot weather warm-ups versus cold weather warm-ups stuff like that yeah but i know you could go on. hour you go an hour probably on that um yeah, that's a good oh, and summary. remember that 
remember, hold on real quick. Sorry, this is my last one. Remember, right. there's a difference also between uh, the Hobbs time and the tack time. The hours that we're flying in this TBO, this is a huge component of what this cost is. Remember, the, the Hobbs time is going to be, as soon as that oil pressure is flowing, six minutes on the Hobbs, so one-tenth of an hour is a six minutes on your watch. It's a one-to-one ratio. But if you have a tack time, um, that's spinning much slower at idle RPM. It's still spinning, but it's a much slower. So the accrual is is way, way, way off. The tack time is only one-to-one accurate at cruise power settings. And so if you're anything less than cruise power setting, normal cruise power settings, you're saving money. So that's what we would be uh, looking at the time between overhauls because time between overhauls is linked to another definition in the, the far aim of time and service. So that, that's something to look up. I don't want to go into it here, but just think 2000 hours on the tack time. So that's basically time in flight is, is that the intact time is typically the closest little airplanes get. It's still not hundred percent right, but it's still, that's still more time than, than it should be. But TBO is all about time in service. So that's a definition to look up, I guess. But it's not what you get billed for when you rent an airplane. So there are some hidden costs that you can save there because you'll be doing the engine overhaul off of tack time, not Hobbs time. Yes, that's Hobbs time. 30% savings. Yeah, Hobbs time is what you're logging in your logbook to build time. Tack time is what you're basing your maintenance off of. Yeah. And um, inside baseball, you're renting airplanes. You're paying for the Hobbs time, but they're calculating that Hobbs time as if it were tack time because that gives a flight school margin. It's not bad for doing it. Okay. I'm not trying to be like, oh, your flight school's evil. It's just everyone does that because that's how you it's not a ton of margin flight school. So that's a that's a factor, right? Most flight schools are doing that, Lee. I, I would say it's yeah, be- un, very uncommon if you find one that's not doing that. And it's not I'm not saying if a flight school's doing that, it's bad. That don't misunderstand me. That's a if you can put in your logbook, they can bill you for it. Yeah. That's like and and the time and service definition is what all maintenance you said it spot on time and service is all the maintenance function and that that definition basically i'm going to sum it up as best i can is from the time the airplane leaves the ground till the time it touches the ground on landing basically that is time and service so anytime you're doing an engine run up after maintenance or you're warming up on the ground like i just said you know there's this this notion where we need to you know scream out to the runway and take off and get flying so we don't have tack time or hobbs time accruing and that's wasted money well what's driving us to make that you know other than the cost of fuel which is minimal at those are engine rpms what's driving us to do that is the fact we're getting billed. We are paying for all that time, whether we are renting the airplane or we own it ourselves, that is money out of our pocket. If you have you know, an air switch, you can get an air switch, and that means the Hobbs time won't start until uh, you have a certain amount of airspeed that trips it, and then the Hobbs meter will start. So that is going to get you very, very close to the definition from the FAA of time in service. I don't want my engine warm-up in the middle of winter to be counted against me. I don't want to pay the flight school. But that's the way the world works. They're not. They they know that they want billable hours. You're you know you're at opposite. You're at odds with what each is trying to accomplish. Nobody is wrong, but that is that's just the way it is. But if you own an airplane personally, there are things you can do to align you very closely with the FAA's definition 
um, of time in service, which is what, because, and you can watch, you know, watch the clock and log that. You don't need to have this, this item in the airplane telling you how much time you just got. Look at your, look at your watch, look at the clock in the airplane or your phone, whatever. And you, you can log that. There's nothing saying that that needs to be recorded somewhere. So if you own the airplane personally and you're looking at cost savings and building time, we ha- there are ways that you can, you know, help that 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 difference and be more cost effective for you. Um, and an air switch is one way to do that, or a squat switch, which most you know retractable gear airplanes have. A story for another day, but so yeah, time and service I, I, is. We've had this conversation before. You could you could legally obviously run a Hobbs on either an air switch or a squat switch. You could have another Hobbs meter just running whenever the master's on. Yes. Right? And then you could have your yes. your tack time. So you could be running your engine maintenance based off what's ever lower, that squat, the, the Hobbs meter, that's a squat switch or an air switch, or the tack time, whichever's giving you the best times. It's You're still going to be It's legal. always going to be the air switch or the squat switch. Because it doesn't start accruing a single second until you have the airspeed for for liftoff or the squat switch when the weight is off the wheels. Yeah, so if you're if you're you can base your maintenance off that, and that's going to be less than um, it's going to be less hours than even your tack time. And you, if you're keeping track of that, you can legally base your maintenance off of that, can't you? Yeah, for everything you don't have to have tack time at all. You don't have to have tack time. Yeah. That is just the closest you can get without like an additional uh, yeah. appliance. And then still for your flight training that, or like for logging time, you can still, we should go into this sometime in its own episode. Is this, almost. Is this a second, is this a second episode we started? No, no, we're going to, we're going to wrap still this on up. the same one? Yeah. But no, this is, well, this is <laughs> we some more, it we're talking overhaul. This is all overhaul related. Yeah, um, for sure. But it was. Okay, it just seemed like we we're on our second episode yeah. here. So the uh I've lost my train of thought. The you can log your flight training time then on the Hobbs meter that's running the whole time. Cuz as long yes. as you're intending on taking off, yes. You can log that time. Yes. Right? So you can yes. legally log the time to- I I believe you can legally log the time if you were intending to take off, you go to take off, and for some reason you then can't take off, and say you accrued like 0.2 or something or more, you yeah. could log that legally. Yes. I mean, I wouldn't do it just because I'm OCD and I'm like, I don't want to count that as my flight time when I didn't even take off. It just would irk me to even put that in my logbook. Well, but I can legally, tell you why you you're wrong. I can tell you why you're wrong. If the responsibility is on me, that the FAA can have certificate action on me or I can have an accident or an incident because I was intending to go fly, why shouldn't I log that? The fact that you didn't okay. have anything that the FAA could you know, throw at you or you could be in trouble for, that's great. But the fact that the responsibility is on you as pilot in command, if, if I am responsible for the airplane, I'm, I'm, I, it's loggable in my opinion. You have it has to be for the intent of flight. Yes. So if I'm moving around on the surface, if I fire that engine up and and I'm doing a run up in place, which I I don't even know what a situation would be where I'd run up in place because I think it's annoying to everybody around you. Go do it out near the runway away from people. But I find out a mag's running rough and I'm not going to go fly. 
and I taxi back and I clip another airplane. I clip a, a land, a taxi light, something like that. And I have to, and I'm in charge. I should be able to log that. That's my, that is my thought on it. Yeah. No, I, I okay. I, I'm, I'm buying what you're selling. Um, okay. Let's wrap this one up. I think this is good. This is a Monday night. It's almost nine yes. o'clock. Oh, it's stressing way, Mr. Boris way, way out. Past I was supposed to be in bed. Yep. So five stars. Amazing gem of an aviation podcast. For background, I've worked professionally in radio podcasts for ten years. So needless to say, I'm fairly critical when it comes to anything audio. With that said, I'm also pursuing my PPL. Uh, a five-year on and off again, and now finally back on again journey. I've been actively seeking a solid podcast to listen to while in the car. That can help keep my head in the game of thinking all things aviation. This is it. The right amount of knowledge and entertainment without a doubt. I really love how even the more plainly written and dry FAA articles are explained and debated from a devil's advocate point of view. It really helps me to wrap my head around certain nuances that can seem overly complicated at times. Truly a great dynamic. Uh, and then there's a, a little star about the audio stuff he mentioned. Love the show, guys. Cheers, Eric Z. Thank you, Eric Z. And then Scott, yes, um, yes, Devil's Advocate. It might be Scott. Um, or maybe sometimes. Maybe. Sometimes it's Devil's maybe. Advocate. Sometimes he's not playing Devil's Advocate. <laughs> you never know. It's part. Of, it's part of the guessing right. game. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> sometimes. Some sometimes what was that, Scott? You were away from the mic. I said that's oh, that's very true. Yes, sometimes okay. it's sometimes it's true. Sometimes I'm just trying to argue. Yeah, sometimes oh. he's just trying to get just, a rise out of Lee. So yeah. yes, yeah. and it works, and it works. And if yeah. if ever legally pressed, he will probably always claim that he was just trying to get a rise out of Lee. Yes, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so um, and then Scott backing away from his mic, and I he came back up to talk. Uh, the left and right audio pan he mentions. I started that in last season, twenty twenty two season, and it's was intended originally. I think it was kind of working for a while. When we're up on our microphones, it kind of does it better. Where if you look at the name order on the, um, we change that every year. The name the order of our names on our cover art. It's actually like this year, Scott's on the left, I'm in the center, Lee's on the right. So Lee's voice, I offset a little bit to the right. Scott's, I offset a little bit to the left. But Lee's a little bit. Scott, really bad lately. Um, one of it was technical issues. Another one, I think, is just sometimes we forget to go up right up on the microphone. Good mic technique. Uh, Eric Z knows that because he's in the business. Yeah. Um, it's actually when I go to throw it in for the final mastering software I use... It um, it's putting the loudness leveling. It's trying to bring Scott and Lee, mainly Scott, doesn't happen with Lee that often. It brings the loudness level up to normal so you can hear it. But once I panned it to like the left for Scott, it the right channel's so quiet it doesn't even pick it up. So it's only in the left. So it's like there are some episodes. Looking back on it now, after I originally read this review. That um, that yeah, that's that's. I toned it down. I'm actually kind of not doing that as much until I get better. Once I get the new computer, I'm gonna get better software. I'm gonna use um, uh, email me. We can probably talk audio all day. Uh, Eric Z, we won't bore the rest of the non-audio people out there with all this nuance. But yeah, um, that is a good ear. Good ear. 
to uh, to notice something like that. You are the yes, first person you. to to notice that actually. I figured I was trying to do it subtle enough where only an audio person would even notice it, and so far that seems to be correct. Yep, nailed it, buddy. You nailed yep. it. <laughs> he heard it. He's probably listening with good headphones, or maybe I don't know. But uh, yes, again, thank you for the five star review and the uh, the yes, critique. Sir. Shoot me an email. Love to. Uh, like I said, we, I can geek out for this kind of stuff for hours. This whole show, by the way, has been done on a 2010 MacBook Pro, a 2000, edited in a 2009 version of GarageBand. And, so, <laughs> and somehow we chart top 10. So, and that's thanks to you, the listener. So we do yes. appreciate you guys listening. Uh, email is our preferred method of communication. My email is F-A-R-A-I-M at RobertBerger.com, B-E-R-G-E-R. The German way, not the sandwich way. Mr. Griffin is F-A-R-A-I-M at LeeGriffing.com, G-R-I-F-F-I-N-G. And Mr. Boris is F-A-R-A-I-M at ScottBoris.com, B-O-R-E-S. And, um, yeah, thanks for listening. Take care. Thanks, guys. Yep. Later. La, 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 la. Say something loud on your track, Scott. I'm going to bed. That was some great... If you did the whole episode like that, it'd be perfect. Seriously. All right, see ya. All right, Scott, we'll see you, man.